And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 320, aka Year 7, Week 18. Uh, coming at you this week, as always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC and KS. And since we now do the show on Clubhouse for now, we don't have any clubs, but you can follow me at Riches for Rich, R I C H E S, the number four, and then R I C H. Uh, that, that's my clubhouse. Follow me to know when this show goes live. Then you can join in and I can ping you up to speaker if you want to participate in the discussion. Um, otherwise, we'll just carry on. Um, I've got headlines, and I think the first one applies to you guys out over there. Unless you guys got something. No, no, good, good. So this is, from, this is from the Foundation for Economic Education. Hawaii is replacing its last coal plant with a giant battery powered by oil. <laughs> yeah, I saw that headline in the email, but I didn't see it in the newspapers here. Well, why would they put it in the newspapers there? Yeah. <laughs> Let people know what's going on here. Uh, in 2015, Hawaii made history, becoming the first U.S. state to mandate a full transition to renewable energy. The legislation signed into law by Governor David Ige mandated that state utilities generate 100% of electricity sales from renewable fuel by 2045. So can we stop right there? Like I want to do the whole article, but I always, I always get, you know, a little miffed when legislatures sign this type of thing, right? Because it's, it's still like it's 24 years out. And when he signed it, it was 30 years out. Like he, as a legislator, as the governor, right, has no say by the time you get to 2045 if that's going to be implemented, how that's going to be implemented, and any opposing um, governor, right, in the interim, should not should they not be able to uh, rescind that? Like, how do, they, how do they legislate 30 years in the future, number one? That's so typical of politicians. Uh, sure, I'm a green candidate. I'm going to make all those necessary things that are going to make sure that the planet stops revolving around the sun. And I'm just going to pass that so that it will become fully effective um, in 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> right. And no one's going to remember or even be able to. I mean, that, that's happened with so many things. I remember they, they shut down all the competition with the bus back in 1940. And the newspaper said, I hope the Public Utilities Commission will be held accountable for the consequences of this elimination of competition down the road. Well, of course, nobody even remembers that. Nobody. <laughs> yeah. So it's it seems like it's posturing, like, oh, Hawaii made history becoming the first U.S. state. Well, and any state could have said that and made it like, oh, by 2055 or 2065 or, you know, Oh no, we're going to beat Hawaii by going 2035 and then just not doing it, right? Like how is that even a thing? That's the same thing as this this whole Paris uh accord as well as the Kyoto protocols and uh I mean everything that the that the government does that's I, I think you've raised an excellent uh skewering point against uh politicians uh, <clears throat> that that they They'll never be held accountable for these actions today because they they say that you know they they boast about what they've accomplished when in fact they haven't accomplished anything. So I I think it was Hillary Clinton some years ago that kind of skewed uh, skewed the claim. Right? She said only governments are thinking about the long term view of things, which is why governments should be responsible for these infrastructure things. Um, Companies are only looking at short-term profits, so they don't have the incentive to, you know, to do these things, which is why we need the public sector for long-term projects. Um, it seemed backwards to me at the time because, no, companies are always looking for long-term projects and, and you know, long-term growth because that's how they sustain themselves. You know, like th some of the oldest companies in the world, you know, in Japan, right? They're like, this company's been around since the 1400s, right? And you're like... There you go, you know, type of a thing. Um, and that, you know, the governments only are looking towards the next election cycle, right? So why would they look towards the, the far future? Um, does this fall into that category? 
is saying like, oh, we're going to do it by 2045. Is that forward-looking thinking uh, by Governor Ige, or is that posturing so that he can win the next election as far as short-term uh, personal um, growth, I guess? Yeah, politicians only look till the next election. And the best example right here in, in Oahu is the railroad. They, they all sounded like, oh, we're going to solve the transportation problem and just 10 years away, of course, 15 years away, then they say, well, it's still going to be another 10 years, and it's going to be five times the original cost. Um, but those guys back, uh, you know, uh, 10 years ago, they they, they were well-intentioned. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, now let's move on here um, in, back into the article because it just it miffs me, and I, I wanted to make sure that I'm not the only one that finds it dumb where politicians are making promises 30 years out that – they cannot keep on their own because they're not going to be in office. And, you know, it, it either doesn't get fulfilled, right, or it hamstrings the next 30 years of political action because everyone has to go along with, you know, this one goal that this guy set, you know, you know 30 years ago kind of a thing. All right. Well, the I think another, another thing about that issue was that <clears throat> they also make the point that it isn't doing what it says it's doing on the surface. You know, they're sounding very green. Okay, we're going to get rid of a coal-powered plant. But I didn't read the article. I just saw the headlines about it. But I think I I saw at the end there's a sort of conclusion that that because they've they've shifted to oil and batteries, they've uh, disguised the fact that they're actually going to be using more uh, energy to do these things than if they had just left left it with coal. I think that's what the point was. I I, I apologize. I didn't read the whole article. Just that. That's they, okay because I'm going to get to it. We're not moving on from this article. That was like oh. that was the first paragraph in the article. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I said, well, we got to stop and talk about this. You know, politicians signing in legislation because I, I wanted to make sure that you know this this isn't the main this isn't the you know the main topic. Um, but it is something worth discussing, and that's you know whether or not politicians should be able, uh, if you know if you if you're going to have the politicians right making decisions, should they be able to sign legislation that you know hamstrings everything for thirty years out, you know unknowing if that's going to be you know the state of the art or the best thing thirty years from now, right, or whether or not it's just you know virtue signaling for lack of a better term or posturing for the next election. Uh, but moving on into the article, it's paragraph two. Green Energy Publications noted that the move positioned Hawaii as a pioneer in the quest to move towards a future free of fossil fuels. But some offered a warning. Promises are easy to make, noted Green Biz, a media company focused on renewable energy. Achieving them is another story. Leaders in the Aloha State are learning this the hard way. Going from cigarettes to crack. In May, news broke that the state's largest supplier of electricity, Hawaiian Electric, Eco was considering pulling the plug on development of a key new energy storage system. The Kapole Energy Storage Facility, basically an enormous battery, is being built to ensure a stable supply of electricity to the island of Oahu, which is preparing for the retirement of the AES coal plant, Hawaii's last coal-fired power plant, which produces 15 to 20% of the island's electricity. Uh, All right, stopping right there again briefly, I was surprised that that number was so low. Like I thought there was more coal powered in Hawaii than just 15 to 20%. Well, I, I think the, the, uh, the main isn't coal, but it's oil that right. they burn, isn't it? Yeah. I guess so. I, again, I, I did not know all, all the statistics. I just, you know, I just, when I read 15 to 20%, I'm like, huh, low, good for them. Uh, the yeah, 150, mostly oil. Yeah, okay. The 185-megawatt storage facility was intended to make up for the loss of the 180-megawatt AES plant, which was no longer a viable option because of a recent ban on coal. But renewable energy projects have been beset by a number of problems, including delays in renewable projects. One concern, as Pacific Business News reported in March, is that these delays will leave Oahu with a very tight fuel reserve margin opening up the possibility of rolling blackouts in the event of failure. Perhaps the greater concern, however, is the impact these delays will have on the giant battery. If there is not enough solar, wind, or battery storage energy to replace the AES plant, HECO would have to use oil instead 
to charge things like the upcoming 185-megawatt Kapolei Energy Storage Facility, Pacific Business News reported. It's not a matter of if, however. The reality is that there's not enough wind, solar, or battery storage to replace the AES plant. Hawaiian Electric has made this quite clear in recent documents, noting that it would not be able to meet its year-two renewable target of 75% for more than a decade. This means that to replace its soon-to-be-retired coal plant, Hawaiian Electric will soon be charging its giant battery with oil. In other words, Hawaiians will be trading one fossil fuel, coal, for another, albeit one far more expensive. This revelation caused the chair of PUC, I don't know what that stands for, Jay Griffin, to complain that Hawaiians are going from cigarettes to crack. Oil prices... (laughs) Oil prices don't have to be much higher for this to look like the highest increase people will have experienced, Griffin said, and it's not acceptable. We have to do better. The dilemma reportedly had many at the meeting on edge. One photovoltaic panel supplier told a reporter that he had not witnessed an exchange like that at a normally stayed PUC stakeholder meeting in his two decades in local energy, a result even less desirable than the previous state. Using expensive oil to charge a giant battery might not be acceptable, but that's exactly what's going to happen. Hawaiian Electric is, of course, not actually pulling the plug on its massive battery project, which is moving forward. The threat to spike the project stemmed from a slew of face-saving conditions from the PUC, most of which the PUC rescinded once Hawaiian Electric threatened to bolt. The project is a wonderful demonstration of why we should use Uh, why we should be wary of giving central planners more power over energy security. It's an example of a phenomenon explained by Ludwig von Mises that government policies often have exactly the opposite effect of what was intended. In an address delivered before the University Club in New York in 1950, the economist explained how government policies often backfire in ways that are predictable. Here is the example he offered. Uh, quote, the government believes that the price of a de- uh, definite commodity, e.g. milk, is too high. It wants to make it possible for the, poor, for the poor to give their children more milk. Thus, it results to a price ceiling and fixes the price of milk at a lower rate than the prevailing on the free market. The result is that the marginal producers of milk, those producing at the highest cost, now incur losses. As no individual farmer or businessman can go on producing at a loss, these marginal producers will stop producing and selling milk on the market. They will use their cows and their skills for other more profitable purposes. They will, for example, produce butter, cheese, or meat. There will be less milk available for consumers, not more, end quote. These outcomes are, of course, contrary to the intentions of the lawmakers, Mises pointed out. They wanted to make it easier for people to purchase milk, not reduce the supply of milk, but the result is the same, he observed, and that is the lesson. The the measures prove abortive form excuse me, the measures proves abortive from the very point of view that the government and the groups is eager to favor, Mises explained. It brings about a state of affairs, which again, from the point of view of the government, is even less desirable than the previous state of affairs it was designed to improve. Now, shuttering a coal plant to instead charge a giant battery with oil is not exactly like going from cigarettes to crack, but it is less desirable than the previous state of affairs, to borrow Mises' language. After all, there's a reason a tiny percentage of U.S. electricity comes from petroleum. It's not an efficient way to produce electricity, and it's very expensive, which is why less than 1% of electricity generated in the U.S. in 2020 came from oil. None of this is to say renewable energy cannot be an integral part of America's energy future. Evidence suggests that it can and already is. Renewable energy accounted for 20% of the electricity generated in the U.S. in 2020, Many technologies are rapidly improving, but we should be skeptical of attempts to force the transition to renewable energies through government fiat, as Mises saw clumsy attempts to ignore market realities in lieu of government force often results in effects that are the opposite of what was intended. Uh, End of the article. So are you guys ready for rolling blackouts and all that fun stuff over there? (laughs) Can't wait. It'll be great. Yeah. I mean, you okay? So you said uh, earlier, MC, that you you your uh, presumption was that most of Hawaii's energy was produced by oil anyway, right? Or, or yeah, and that's why it's so freaking expensive, right? So, so it's already the most expensive, according to this article, and then they're looking to do more of that. Yeah, of course. Please, 
note in their chart, I, I happen to be looking at the same article that you just read. There's a chart there of, of the sources of energy that, that produce electricity in the United States. And the coal has been reduced and replaced by natural gas, which can't come to Hawaii because the Jones Act prevents ships that could carry uh, liquefied natural gas to the islands. Uh, so another government intention to help save the national security of the country has prevented uh, a, a, a shift to an alternative source of energy that is not only cheaper but cleaner and easier to produce than coal and much less so than uh, uh, than uh, than oil. So... <laughs> The, so the government compound. compounding its problems for the, exactly. for the people. Yeah. Well, I, I think the government in, in Hawaii likes to spend as much as they possibly can. Um, that's evidenced by the, the rail system. They built the most expensive uh, piece of crap that they could possibly build. Um, and, and so they want to burn the least efficient uh, fuel because it's the most expensive and they'll get the most money for it. Um, so I think that's what it's about. I, and, uh, you know, Unfortunately, uh, people in Hawaii are, are so laid back they don't care. Do you, okay, so let's talk about that because it would seem to me that if your representatives or your leaders or your people in charge or whoever those guys are, right, making these decisions, right, are, are pitching this idea to the people, right, going, no, 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 here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the least efficient, most expensive stuff and we're going to use that for you. And there's no, is it because, you know, I, I live there, right? I know the laid-back culture. Does that is that really the factor that allows the politicians to do s- such idiotic things um, without a care in the world? Like there, there's that there's that little pushback from people going like, uh, "You guys got to figure this out because now it's affecting us." I don't know. I'm, I assume uh, when it just gets too expensive, then people leave. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm one of them. Right, and it it, yeah. it wasn't just the cost of gas or, um, you know, foodstuffs or it's, or it's, living. Costs. It's like they've just accepted. It's like okay, Hawaii is a uh, I don't know retirement or vacation destination. It's expensive here, and that's the rationale. Well, it's just expensive. And rich people vacations, yeah, and or or, or yeah, it's people that uh, uh, already are wealthy and they can afford. Uh, every everything that comes with it, it's just it's just really expensive, and people accept it, or they leave. Okay, I hear you. Does does that need to be changed? Is it worth changing that uh, conception of the culture? I guess, or is it just you know, no, we just because it's so accepted and so ingrained that that that's your only option, right? Like either either get with it yeah. or get gone. And. I, I don't even believe the election results. You know the the, uh, <laughs> the uh, prevailing wisdom Trump says Trump will rise again. Well, you know Trump aside, but the, the, they say that uh, um, Hawaii is a, a Democrat, you know, stronghold, right? It is, and, they, and so is it really just accepted, or are they fudging the numbers how, somehow to make it seem like it's never changing? Um, so I don't I don't trust the election results at all. Um, one of the guys that, you know, I didn't expect to win, uh, uh, Rick, Rick, uh, Blangiardi, is that his name? Uh, Blangiardi? Yeah. And, uh, and he was the most, you know, pro-business, um, anti-lockdown candidate and he won and you wouldn't expect him to win, um, when okay what what race is this for because i don't recognize the name and i don't mayor of honolulu oh okay mayor. All right. i think it's i think it's not a partisan race for for mayor right right so i mean so that that explains it a little bit okay but at the same time all of his politics were, were closer to trump's than than, than biden's okay so either people you know are are just uh you know voting democrat because uh that's what they associate with and they don't even care about the politics at all or, um, yeah, something like that. It, so it's like a it, self-fulfilling it prophecy where people go like, well, it's a Democratic stronghold, so people just vote Democrat to be on the winning side? That, that's some, some people do that. Probably, probably about 20% of people do that, at least, I'd say. Okay. So what, It's a really dumb phenomenon, but <laughs> people do that. 
So, uh, all right. So help me out. I'm trying to tie this back into, you know, whether or not, um, whether or not people are just accepting. And you're saying that you don't believe that people are just accepting because they voted for this guy who doesn't fit the stereotype of what a, a Hawaii politician looks like. Right. Doesn't fit the stereotype and his politics are different than okay. uh, Biden's and the, the Democrat party here. So, okay. uh, you know, typically the Democrat stronghold is completely anti-business right. and pro lockdown, pro authoritarian, like it, it, like two extremes. I mean, they, one point they, they, they wanted to have a, a curfew during COVID like, Oh, shut If you're out past 11 PM, we're going to uh, pull you over and arrest you. Yeah. Cause that's like, when COVID okay. comes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, total BS, but that's the kind of people we have here. Um, you know, that didn't last, uh, there was no way for them to, you know, I, I think that there's no way the cops are going to uh, do that, that, accomplish yeah. that, enforce it. So um, it, it lasted like one night and then they canceled it. But um, <laughs> it was so funny because when they, when they, the first night they announced that uh, 11 o'clock, a whole bunch of people in, in their cars went out and started doing donuts in the middle of the road. Nice. So out, out in Keene um, here, they, they, I think they still do it. Um, there was there was a, like a midnight curfew or something, you know, for for the city of Keene, and so they they've been having what they call like the Keene nightcap, where at like twelve oh one they meet up in Central Square uh, on public property and drink, or they like do a shot or have a beer or whatever. So like they're out past curfew, drinking in public, and right. they've you know they've done this on a on a weekly basis since since the order went into effect, and I think they've remained unmolested. So it's you know. Right. It's one of those things where, oh, yeah, they can't, not going to be enforced, but it's still on the books. Right. And so my, my question is, you know, similar to Hawaii, well, what do you do about it? It's like, it's, I mean, it's okay that they're not enforcing it, but it's also not okay that they have that idea, uh, you know, that they're de- declaring that in the first place. Like there, there should be something that holds them accountable to uh, doing stupid things like, and implementing a curfew, you know? Right. And I don't, I don't have the answer for you, but I do know what I do notice is there is definitely more pushback here on things like that yeah. than I've I experienced seen, in Hawaii. I haven't seen a, you know, any pub, public hangings yet. So, <laughs> right. Well, it, it, because it hasn't gotten that far, but you know, the, the, the first city here to, to start, you know, the mask mandate, um, was the city of Nashua, which is like south of where I'm at. Uh, and almost immediately, there was a lawsuit filed against the city. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't know what became of that or if it's still ongoing because they're one of the few cities that still has some sort of mask order in place. But, you know, they sued the city. Um, and then they, there was a mask order in Keene. And so a, a handful of, you know, liberty-minded individuals sued Keene got the same attorney that was suing the city of Nashua to take their case. Right. And I don't know where that, where the process that is. Um, and then there were either, you know, the, the Manchester town council or whatever, where, you know, that's the city that I'm in um, was, was having like a public hearing on whether or not they wanted to institute a citywide mask mandate. Um, and it came down to basically, no, because look, they, they sued Nashua, they sued Keene. Like, why would we go through a lawsuit? And so in Manchester, it got squashed, and and there was never uh, there was never a citywide mandate in Manchester. Um, yeah, good for them. Right, but it, it the precedent was set as if you put in a mask mandate, you're going to get sued, and then we're going to then you have to fight it in court, right? And you know the the, the level of activism here allows for that, uh, where I don't know if that happens in Hawaii too much, uh, but also like where's you know where's the where's the pushback? From the people anywhere right like yeah i've got I suggest a, a theory about why hawaii has much more of an obedience to hierarchy than other places such as in new hampshire sure yeah uh, my idea is that the consider the cultures that have come here uh, the largest population group is japanese american and i think that the japanese have uh, a long tradition of obedience to hierarchy um another uh, group here is the the Hawaiian population, of course, had its obedience to the king and royalty. Uh, a third was the missionaries who came here originally as the 
of first white settlers and so on, and they had a strong obedience to authority, uh, to their churches and to uh, in in the religion. Um, but then also the uh, military uh, has a very big presence here and a very strong obedience to hierarchy and authority. I'd say that some that have been less obedient to that are might maybe Chinese or much more independent-minded, but they're f very closely family-oriented. They'll still uh, collaborate with authority in order to um, um, succeed individually. But those who are, are genuine rebels, you know, the, the, the people who were the, the migrants, the early migrants to, uh, to New Hampshire, I would say, out of, out of New England, uh, to the New England area from, from old Europe, were rebels. So that's why they, they were leaving Europe, uh, to, to go and establish their own independent life. Yeah. And uh, also penal colonies in much of uh, America, the southern part. Um, you know, people were sent abroad as, as punishment for their crimes, and then once they paid off their their sentence, then they established themselves. Well, those are rebels too, and very independent-minded. And I'd say that uh, that probably, I don't know, if you want to look back at the roots of a different attitude towards people. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll accept culture as the reason. Like like MC was saying that you know the the laid back culture, but he got, he kind of like you know disavowed that based based on the elections, right? Like, well, it's not so laid back because they voted for what we're going to say is well, a Trumpish politician, which means I, there's I think, hope. Well, what I'm saying is some some of it is party loyalty, and so there's Democrats, but they could vote for Rick because it was nonpartisan. Okay. So what I'm saying is if they if they actually paid attention to what they were doing, they wouldn't keep voting for. Uh, the Democrat stronghold that yeah. is, you know, basically ke keeping keeping them buying the most expensive crap for them. Uh, yeah, and and I think they do tend to rebel against what they think is corrupt insiders. And I think you know, from time to time, we see that in Hawaii, like on the Big Island, Bernard Akana, Akana, a, a T-shirt candidate, defeated a very powerful, um, suave. Uh, Mayor Dante Carpenter years ago, uh, just because he got uh, tinged with the, the hint of scandal, and there was, uh, you know, this this feeling that he was abusing the system, and I think that in a way, Blangiardi uh, came ahead in the in the polling here in Hawaii over Amamiya, because Amamiya was very very closely tied with all these uh, powerful Democratic insiders that people became suspicious of, and uh, I think. There were enough people on the margin that said, "Well, we don't, we don't want to just keep favoring the, the insiders. We we want to right. uh, someone who is a bit independent from the powerful power brokers." Sure. Um, to your earlier, go ahead. But, but if they, if they really were thinking about it, then they they wouldn't vote for Biden, who's you know definitely connected with all the powerful insiders and has been for you know his whole time in. Yeah, in but Biden's not so. Trump. That's all that comes down to. <laughs> no, I, I understand that. <laughs> He's not Trump, okay? Um, to, to your earlier point, KS, about you know the, the, the uh, migrant cultures that have populated Hawaii over the years, um, I, th I think that's one of the reasons why it has um, morphed into a democratic stronghold um, because the, at the, the view of the Democrat Party Right is more one of inclusiveness, I guess, and and collect and collectivism. I don't want to say collectivism, um, but collectivist ideas. And I think that th they have parlayed that family orientation into one of party orientation. Right. So you get, you get the migrants who are like you know strong family ties, um, and what you hear from politicians in Hawaii is the two cliches of you know what about the children and who's going to take care of the old people, right. You got like the kapunas and the keikis over there that need to be taken care of, you know, cradle to grave by the Democrat Party. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see that stronghold uh, of, of Democrat politicians there. That's and I think it's also rooted in the fact that Republicans were just 
associated with the big five that dominated the big five uh, companies that for 60 years dominated Hawaii politics without any challenge or competition at all. And it was always to their particular favor to the big five. Um, and so they became so associated with capitalist insiders that finally when uh, after World War II, when the 442nd came back and headed up a democratic revolt, they were able to smear the Republicans for decades with this notion, well, you know, you don't want them because they don't believe in democracy either. They just want to control the power, the politics for their own benefit. You know, huge agricultural yeah. subsidies, huge, uh, um, you know, infrastructure projects to benefit them. Uh, they, it, it wasn't that... Uh, that the previous ones, the Republicans weren't, in those days, weren't for free markets either. They were, they were favoring their, their cronies. Of course, because that's, that's, that's the, that's the critique of capitalism offered by the opponents of capitalism, right? It's yeah. that it's not free markets, right? I, I have a couple articles coming up here from the Center for a Stateless Society, um, and, and their like tagline is markets, not capitalism, right? Like right. The, the way that we would, they view capitalism different the way than we would define it because what we call like cronyism, right? Or crony capitalism, that's their view of capitalism in its entirety, right? And that's all the, in, that's the capitalists working in tandem with the government politicians to scratch each other's back rather than, you know, work for the benefit of the consumer, on both sides, which is what both of them should be doing, but never happens. Right. Um, yeah. So is it possible then in Hawaii with, with some sort of spirit of rebellion, some sort of, uh, convincing people that the, that they don't have to follow the narrative to, to, you know, throw out these bad decisions to overturn that 2015 pledge, um, to, to get back on, (laughs) Uh, fuel efficient or, or you know uh, financially efficient means of producing energy for the state um, you know maybe maybe open up the Jones Act and get some natural gas in there somehow like how does is it is it possible and if so how does that manifest I think it's um, too complicated for the general voters mind um, and that's understandable in a way. I don't. I don't blame the voters for not being highly sophisticated in economics, especially given that that economics education is, is abysmal in the islands. I mean, first from the government schools, and then sure. um, even the you know the the public economists, the government economists that are not only government but private economists that tend to be just so enamored of government policy. Uh, they, the general public uh, doesn't understand these issues. You talk about energy and these comparisons. Very few are even going to pay any attention to this yeah. kind of comparison. Do you have to understand it, though? It hits you in the wallet. <laughs> they get the bill should, every month. It should be really simple. Like, oh, you're paying uh, triple what everybody else is paying in the rest of the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's obvious, but, you know, you ask anybody on the street, I mean, you do a survey of ask people what's the Jones Act. What do you think about it? Ninety nine percent will not even know what it is. Yeah. Well, who's so, who's responsible for educating them though? Like, I didn't know about it. You know, when I was in elementary school or high school, whatever, that meant nothing to me. Yeah, the the Jones Act is a complicated thing to explain, and I think that's one of the reasons why it, it still exists. But um, high high. Uh, electric prices are not hard to explain. It's very easy. Um, and so I don't know why there isn't a politician that comes out and says, maybe it's just because of the lobby or whatever, but, uh, or the, or the, the establishment is too strong. I don't know, but th- th- it could be a politician that says, if you elect me, I, I have a plan to, you know, lower electricity costs by 50%. Um, yeah. you know, that, that would speak, very loudly to people in Hawaii because everybody knows they're paying way too much for electricity. Yeah. And, and, and as a politician, he doesn't even have to follow through with it. Just make the promise. <laughs> right. Um, here's another area where it's, it's, it's a double whammy for me, right? Cause like I moved from Hawaii. I have a general understanding of how expensive electricity was there. Right. I get to New Hampshire. It's, uh, 
not substantially, but noticeably cheaper for electricity living here, right? Um, but then I get, uh, I, I talk to people who moved from like, you know, the Midwest or the South or whatever, who moved up to New Hampshire, right? And they're like, electricity is ridiculous here. I go, what are you talking about? Like how much, how much were you paying, you know, where you were? Because I was paying way more than this in Hawaii. So like, I'm, I think I'm getting a deal and they think they're getting <laughs> ripped off, you know? So it is, it is high. So it's uh 20 cents per kilowatt hour in New Hampshire and 13 cents uh, average for the U S. Okay. So it is quite a bit higher, but uh, Hawaii is like 36, 40 cents now, I think. Yeah. See, so I, you know, my, my electric bill Going gets higher. cut in half. Yeah. My electric bill gets <laughs> cut in half. I'm excited. Right. And they're going like, you, you're paying like 50% more than you need to pay. I go, son of a bitch. That means I was paying even, I was paying like three times as much uh, coming from away. So I, part of it's a matter of perspective and, uh, you know, you, you get used to that no matter where you move to. Uh, let me let me ask you, you know, I think that the people in New Hampshire are more impacted by the Jones Act than the people of Hawaii. The reason being that it takes three, it costs three times as much for a Gulf Coast oil producer to send oil to New England. It costs three times as much as to send the same barrel of oil up to Canada or to Europe because of the Jones Act. It has to be on a Jones Act ship. And I, I'm guessing that nobody in New Hampshire knows about the Jones Act either and the impact on them. Um, I, I don't follow local politics too much. From what I do follow, no one has ever mentioned the Jones Act here in, in, in passing or otherwise or as a way to alleviate some of that for the people of New Hampshire or New England as a whole. It's just, it's not, it's yeah. hasn't even entered the consciousness here as far as yeah. I've noticed. And it hasn't for the vast majority of people in, in continental U S right. right. Because, well, the, the one thing it, it, a lot of, a lot of goods would be on ships except for the Jones act. Um, so all the goods have to go on trucks now. And which is good um, for the truckers. It's good for the truckers, but it's it's bad for the roads. It's bad for safety because there's all these trucks on the road when uh, they could just be on a safe ship, just floating around. Pollution too, and more pollution. pollution yeah. From the, yeah, yeah. And Elon Musk, you know, if he cared about the environment, he would point out the Jones Act and and how it makes everything uh, required to to be on trucks. Um, but that also means he has to understand it. Yeah. He's also going to be selling electric trucks soon. So there's your you know, solution. <laughs> Put it on electric trucks, renewable energy. But that's still way more uh, energy uh, inefficient uh, compared to putting it on boats. What are you talking about? You just you plug it in and all of a sudden it's taken care of. <laughs> yeah. And you got to get that electricity somehow. No. <laughs> no, you just plug it in. I th- that's the I, the I I honestly think that's that's the biggest scam of the whole green movement um, is the whole electrification of everything. Like everything needs to be you know battery operated or, or you know plug-ins. Yeah. Well, I the theory is is that because we you can move to solar and wind eventually, that, right? So, um, and 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 I I don't think it's a bad idea to build you know batteries and and uh. Some some of the renewable stuff, but at the same time, there's there's a cost associated with it, and I think uh, people are not being uh, told truthfully how much it's going to cost. Yeah, absolutely. Be- and because, and again, I think what? that's because it's hidden in in the in the cost of how that electricity is produced. Like they don't see it; they just see the electricity coming out of their wall. And yeah, they they, that somebody else is going to pay the cost, not themselves. They yeah. they do see their electric bills going up, and and I think worst case scenario I think is probably Germany, where uh, you know people actually do have to make a choice between uh, heating their homes or uh, paying for food. Yeah, fair, but okay. So how could, f- you educate me on this then, because I don't know um, when you when you go to the, like the the Tesla supercharge station, how do you pay for that electricity? Um, I don't know. It depends. If I go there, it's probably free for me. Because, because it's built, somehow it's built into the price of your Tesla? Uh, yes. Okay. Right. And I guess, I guess that's part of my point. Um, 
is there there's the the people who plug in to that like they don't see it because they're they're saving money by not spending you know 40 50 bucks at the at the gas tank because they just plug in and where that there's a cost there's a cost there somewhere not only for the infrastructure but for the electricity itself germany's uh germany has probably the most um, renewable energy in the world and their their household uh Cost per kilowatt hour is is higher than Hawaii's, thirty seven point five uh, cents per kilowatt hour. Okay, uh, Hawaii is currently thirty two cents. So educate me further. How does how does that make any sense at all? If that's the direction that we're all trying to go, well, Germany's trying to save the planet. Okay, so so the, as a culture, for lack of a better term, collectively, they've agreed to pay more for electricity in order to use inefficient means of energy production because it's mm-hmm. it's the 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 benefit is for the planet not for the the individual consumer is that supposedly yeah. okay i'm just i'm i'm really ignorant at this point so i'm trying to make sense of what you're saying in my head so if i if i sound rude like i usually do i'm not i'm generally curious at this point yeah, yeah. the one the one country that is nowhere near any um water uh, from the oceans um they're, they're worried the most about uh, sea level rise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. As an aside, right? I don't, we, can, we can probably move on from this topic. But as an aside, did any, the, the iceberg uh, that broke off from the ice shelf, did you see that? Oh, so, so terrible. So terrible. And, <laughs> and Greta Thunberg, you know, t- started tweeting out, oh, my gosh, global warming and climate change. I, I hope change. she ri- rides it as it melts. Well, yeah, well, and that was part of it. Like, I, I don't know if she issued a retraction, but she definitely had to be corrected um, that it was going to have no impact, was not caused by global warming, was part of the natural uh, melting cycle that <laughs> right. the icebergs go through. No, right. no, don't worry, Greta. It'll refreeze later, you know, kind of thing. Like, oops, you know, missed that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the the energy thing, the, the, the climate, the climate um, science, I guess, debate as it relates to energy, it just, it just baffles me because no, it's it's really simple. It's the same thing we were talking about with you know Hawaii building the rail, Hawaii using uh, uh, oil uh, versus coal versus anything else. It's the most expensive crap they can sell to us. So it's it's about a powerful elite saying you must have it more expensive stuff, and they so it's basically people in government want control of uh, the power production in the U S and around the world because it's more expensive. And yeah. So but the people buy into do. it, right? Every, everyone well, like, of course they do. Everyone they, has their nose wide. turned up when they put solar panels on their roof or drives around in a Tesla. No offense. Yeah. And I, I have no problem with people trying to save money by putting solar on the roof. But the, what I have a problem with is, is government mandating or, you know, taxing carbon to intentionally make it more expensive for people. Right. And, and so that they have, so that they're basically required to use the most expensive electricity is is they can't. That's that's not well. It's it's wrong. It's just corrupt. But that's but that's the root of it. It's right. it's a powerful elite wanting to tell you you must use the most expensive uh, energy production means possible. Sure. Because it's 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 all about making money. And I didn't pay I didn't pay a lot of attention in college to a lot of things, so I don't remember much. Um, but there always there's always a handful of things from each class that stuck with me whether or not it was meant to stick with me or not. And if I remember correctly, this was, you know, directly from, um, I had to take an environmental economics class and, you know, looking back on it again, memories hazy a little bit. Uh, I don't think they had the right professor teaching that class, um, because I don't think that the professor that taught the class agreed with the textbook in many cases, and I think that's why a lot of this stuck out to me because he would go like, well, that's what the book says, but it's clearly not true. Right. Kind of a, kind of a mm-hmm. thing. Um, and as it, as it relates to um, renewable energy and where we go from here, right. It was, it was like the, the intersecting cost curve where at some point you get to like that last barrel of oil. Right. And that last barrel of oil becomes so expensive that it's now cheaper to pay for solar. Right. And as solar technology increases, um, you know, the, the per kilowatt hour, whatever for solar gets cheaper. So solar gets cheaper while oil is rising. 
and you will have this naturally occurring intersection, right, where it's now more efficient to go with solar or natural gas or whatever, you know, pick your renewable energy source to get mm-hmm. away from coal and oil. And I go, mm-hmm. okay, great. We'll just, we'll use what's most efficient until it's not, and right. then we will switch, right? And it, That's what and should it, happen. That's what should happen. <laughs> and, and yet you have the politicians, right, doing the exact opposite, right? Forcing, forcing one down by subsidizing it um, and taxing one up um, by, by, you know, putting, putting regulations on it, you know, the, the oil and, and, you know, the, the coal and oil, et cetera, right? Has all these added layers of cost to it to subsidize this new energy when, when that intersection occurs naturally at some point down the road, right? Yeah. 2030, 2040, tw- may, maybe 2100, right? Is when that intersection is supposed to naturally occur. And so we have this long period of government-induced inefficiency that just miffs me to no end. And there's a lot of uh, oil and gas companies that uh, are, are happy about wind and solar being implemented because that basically ensures that they will be around forever because you need a backup for wind and solar. Um, so a lot, there's a lot of useful idiots out there that uh, you know, don't understand uh, how they're being used. Well, that's why they're useful um, idiots because they just right. they go along to get along, and they just so they're useful. So nu- nuclear would would be better, and uh, I th- I really believe that we we if the government got out of the way, we'd probably have thorium reactors already. And yeah, uh, I was I was going to bring that up if we still had time because I know you were big on that for a while, and I haven't heard any news or updates on that, so I don't even know what the status of th- there was thorium, and there was one other one that I can never remember the name of that sounds similar. Hmm. Fission, fusion. <laughs> I don't know. Don't don't worry about it. Um, but I mean, That's like, okay. is is there any updates on the thorium reactor, or has no, it gone by I, the wayside and people are just going, nope, because we're not doing no, nuclear. There, there's a handful of companies still working on it. There's probably ten different technologies, and one of them hasn't won out yet. And so I don't know. I'm still waiting on India and China. They'll probably still have it first before anybody else, uh, with the help of uh, designers in. Uh, or engineers in the U.S. So now, India and China, because their government's going to mandate it, and they've got you know some not mandate it, but okay, um, allow, allow it. them. Okay, probably. all right. And they're 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 funding it also. I mean, imagine uh, India and in China, but with uh, cheap, abundant uh, energy, uh, with no pollution. I mean, that's uh, you know world changing right there. Sure. And they come out ahead in a race with us and other countries on something, you know, that's got a lot of prestige to it. I think NC has made a really strong point over and over again, that that government agencies always succeed because their measure of success is their budget and staff. And the more and more mess they make of the economy, their budget and staff always grows. So I, uh, you know, you say a corporation is succeeding when they have more personnel and, and a bigger budget, you know, more revenues. Well, governments are always succeeding. The worst things are in the, in the, in the economy, the government agencies grow by leaps and bounds. Yeah. They c- cause a problem and then they're they're then they're their own solution at an even higher cost and price right. to the consumer and the taxpayer. And all, and all of their favored uh, contractors too. Of for, course. There's your cronyism. That public-private partnership. <laughs> also known as fascism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for those looking for definitions on those sort of things. All right, um, let's but, but move it on. Does raise, oh, he does raise a very important, interesting point. Why would this Thorian energy be favored by China and India? And I think it's because their, their competitive race is a public relations race against uh, uh, U.S. and and also, you're right, they, they are sensitive to this issue about um, their coal-fired plants being so polluting. So this okay. could be, a, you know, it's a big breakthrough for them. See, and I, I may have gone another way and, and suggest that it's because they are less sensitive um, to the health of their uh, population, right? 
Like, yeah, I would, I would if, say they if are, there's they, a meltdown they, in China, I don't think the Chinese the Chinese Communist no. Party cares too much about the workers in the meltdown. No, the most the most important thing to India and, and China is is the cost of of production. So, um, if if they had something cheaper than coal, they would use it. Um, and it's just the technology is really expensive, and so okay, that that's why they haven't uh, you know decided on you know once once they make one of these plants and and it's producing power cheaper than coal um you can bet that that they're not going to make any more coal plants yeah they'll just they'll they'll move on and find a way you know but it, but you get like you know uh, chernobyl fukushima right nuclear has meltdowns and and the 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 results are catastrophic compared uh compared to um problems with other energy creating sources right like if, if your wind turbine breaks down, go ahead. Potentially, but um, the technology we have now is so so much better, and the safety is so much better now, and and the, the type of uh, process that that thorium uses, um, basically, it's it's uh, a thousand times safer. Actually, you know, probably more than that, a thousand times safer than than any plant that we're currently using right now. I believe you. And yet it's a public relations issue at that point. Right. Right. I and, can be and, easily convinced because I trust you. Um, right. And, and they don't care in India and China. They're going right. to take that risk. Yeah. They're going to take that risk, which isn't really a risk. Right. But th- they're going to take it. Meanwhile, everyone's going to go like, did, did you see Chernobyl? Did you see Fukushima? Fukushima was not that long ago. And that's, that's the most recent nuclear disaster in people's minds. Yeah. And, and completely avoidable. I, again, I believe you, but that's that's not what shows up on the TV screen or in the news reports. Oh, I know. Yeah. All right. Um, that's, that's why I said. That's why I said it. You know, India and China India will have China. it first. Yeah. With engineers from the U.S. Because <laughs> because they will do it, and even though you're saying <laughs> modern, you know, insignificant risk, um, the public relations will be huge risk, and then they'll look. They'll come out even more smelling like roses when nothing bad happens, and they're yeah, now more and, energy. And, energy we'll, and we'll have you know forty cent per kilowatt hour electricity all throughout the U.S. Uh, to match Germany's, and uh, in India and China they'll have two cent per kilowatt hour. And you'll know where the Bitcoin miners end up at that point. And you'll know where all you know production and and uh, the economy of scale will grow there. Yeah, absolutely. And it will, shri- and it will shrink in the U.S. and Germany. Yeah. What what did China do this last week with regard to Bitcoin? They outlawed it or something, they, right? Oh, they banned it again. Again, yeah. For the twelfth time. <laughs> well, it it affects you- the it affects the price of Bitcoin, but it's it's always uh unsubstantial threats by the Chinese they, government because they, they do it all the time. Whenever there's a downturn, they ban it and so it, they can it makes them feel good. It's like, oh look, we did that. And it's a it's a lie. It's propaganda. They didn't cause the Bitcoin price to fall. It was it was high for a long time, and and mostly it was Elon Musk that put doubt in people's minds, and and so there was some people that were selling, and that caused uh, uh, a collapse of the price, a run runaway uh, collapse. KS. Okay. Yeah. I. That's that's all I need to know. Okay. But it's it's actually a good thing long term for the price of Bitcoin. It's it's good that it happened now and not later, um, because you get all the weekends out and you get people that you know want to hold on to it and yeah. understand that you know what it actually is. And it's not uh, it might not be uh, get rich quick. You know it, it, what I always tell people is when you get in in Bitcoin, make it a five year plan at least. Yep. You know longer if, longer if you can hold it. If you can hold it for longer than five years, that's great. But like, start with that five-year plan, <laughs> and that's yeah. uh, there was a, a scientific uh, kind of uh, explanation about how people's minds work, and people can think out five years of what they're gonna, what their life is going to be like, how how they're going to be in five years. But five years is about as far as people can imagine, um, and there's also an, an, something that goes along with that, and that's uh, how far the the mind's eye can see, and that is five miles. So. Uh, if you're looking at the moon, you can't really tell how many millions of miles away it is, um, but uh, it, it looks much closer. Like you could, if if you ask somebody that didn't know at all how far it w- was away, they'd say like, oh, five, ten miles, something like that. At most, yeah, ten and, for and the sun. You, and you could do that same thing, you know, looking out uh, 
great distances if you're on a mountain or something like, well, how far is that away? You know, everything looks like it's actually not that far, but, um, it might be 20 miles, 30 miles or more, whatever. Yeah. That got, that got, uh, that got me and a couple of buddies in trouble once on a hike. It's, oh yeah. We, we, like, oh no, the peak's, the peak's just right there, man. We're all, we're almost to the top. And like <laughs> two hours. Later. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that, it wasn't that long of a hike. It was, um, just so you guys know, it was like Hawaii low Ridge. I had a buddy who lived up there. So mm-hmm. we, we went on the hike, but it was like, it was like, it was five hours, uh, of my day. Like we, I left work at two, we drove up there, went on the hike and I went back to pick up my car at like seven 30. Um, and it was, it was miserable cause it was muddy and you know, it wasn't the best footing. And so one of, we had one, one of our friends was just complaining the whole way. Oh, let's, let's turn back. I'm like, Oh no, we're like, we're so close. It's just like, you know, we're like right there. Like just do this, get to the peak and then we can go back. Uh, and like an hour later, he's like, oh, come on, let's just go back. Like, no, like we just, you know, we, we crested one, let's, you know, keep going. And then, you know, he admitted when we, when we actually got to the peak that the view was worth it and that he shouldn't have bitched so much. But yeah, <laughs> it was like, we got to be close by now. Like, come on. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, and, and I want to throw this out there before it slips my mind. Um, also why in the mind's eye sort of thing, you've done this, I've done this MC, uh, vision work is kind of important because it forces you to think beyond that natural limitation of five years. Right. You know, sure. And it, and it's, you know, in, in my opinion, right. Objectively, it's pure fiction, uh, beyond that. Um, but it's, it's always interesting to be able to like have that written down somewhere, uh, as a reference point for when you get there, like, you know, what was right, what was wrong. Um, and you know, so on. So, if you, if, if you don't do that, uh, highly recommended to do the five-year, the 10-year, and the 20-year vision work. Just free, free form, free-flowing in a notebook somewhere, and then put that away type right of thing. On. All right. Um, we've got a couple more minutes. I don't know if it's worth getting into all the headlines, um, but I, I, I did want to get into at least one more thing because I kind of wanted uh, you to speak on this subject, KS. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read the whole article because we're short on time, uh, but I will read the headline uh, from Zero Hedge. Lumber industry has no interest in new mills as they reap rewards of record prices. Uh, The problem with the North American lumber industry is that supply is controlled by just a few firms that can easily manipulate prices. For instance, uh, Wall Street Journal reports lumber mills are in no rush to bring bring on additional capacity as they reap rewards of consumers paying four times the average price. Uh, North American sawmills uh, so on, are in no hurry to boost new capacity as they rake in cash as lumber prices soar. Consumers have been on the opposite side of the stick as soaring lumber prices added nearly $36,000 to the cost of building a new home in less than one year. Uh, lumber executives told Wall Street Journal that they aren't racing out to build new mills as they are contempt. It says contempt, but I think they meant content with elevated prices boosting their quarterly net income, usually when commodity prices soar, new supplies flood the market, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. I want to stop there because that's basically where I wanted to get your thoughts. If you had an explanation on, um, if that's true, is this uh, collusion? Should they, be, should, they, should they be charged with it, some sort of illegality? What prevents new, mar- new, uh, new producers from entering that market? Um, and bringing those prices down, like, and if they could control this the entire time, why not just collude and raise the prices without worrying about where the market would take it? I don't, I don't think they're necessarily colluding. Um, there's, uh, I think all this growth in, in building is spurred by the Federal Reserve, and they're making a calculated bet that it will not go on forever. Okay. Um, eventually, uh, everybody's going to have two houses, and and uh, there's going to be uh, you know too much supply and eventually there's not going to be the need for all the lumber and so the lumber prices will collapse okay um, so well okay I said um, collusion because I didn't read this part but they listed off a handful of different mills a different sawmills mm-hmm. uh, Weyerhaeuser, West Fraser, Canfor, Infer and Portlack Deltic are in no mm-hmm. hurry to boost new capacity so are you, it's you're not, suggesting it's not that they're it's not that they're colluding. It's just why, why would they invest more money, you know, to to make more facilities uh, when they know the price is going to collapse after the housing market? Well, that's what I'm collapses. saying. You're you're suggesting that they're all making the same economic calculation. Sure, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree yeah, yeah, completely that an investment in a new factory is a long-term investment expecting that it's going to last. And, and I think that they all see this as a bubble just like it was in 2008. It was a bubble that was about ready to collapse. They're going to reap as much revenue from the can, they can from this uh, high price, but I don't think they expect it to last, uh, you know, another year, you know, like this. Okay. Yeah, it, I think it is getting close to popping, but, you know, it's one of those things. You never really know when it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, further into the article, I'm, I, again, I'm not going to read it because we're pressed for time. Um, it basically said that they're they're accumulating cash to sit on for, you know, future endeavors, future investments or something like that. So is, is you, you, you agree with that then that they're just they're sure. they're padding they're padding their savings account as like yeah, you know, and, while they and, can and just and just like uh, uh, any good farmer would do is that they would save for the, the down season, you know, time okay. when, when, when crops are not growing as good. And uh, and not rely on the government so much, but uh, you know, and and there's there's some uh, farming that is done with with no subsidies, and and they typically produce uh, high, higher quality crops and and uh, things that aren't so uh, well subsidized and mass produced. And th- this is just how it is because when I read the headline um, and those you know and those first few paragraphs the first time. I went, well, again, that doesn't seem very consumer focused, right? Like, oh, no, no, there's a shortage on lumber, so prices are going up, but we're not going to make more even though there's clearly demand for it. It's not about making more. It's it's about... Well, it is because they increase capacity. They're talking about increasing capacity or lack thereof. They would have to spend more money uh, on infrastructure to increase capacity. So it's a gamble. So they don't want to take the gamble because they know that this is going to this is going to be short lived. It's like this might be the you know the best time ever for them, but it's not going to change very much for them if you know if if well if they waste a whole bunch of money on a new uh, uh, facilities and then the price collapses. So okay, fair. Um, yeah, exactly. still in the green skin. KS? Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. All right. Well, there and you have that's it. That's why you know if they tried to say, oh, we're all going to agree not to, to add more factories. If, they, if one of them expected the prices to stay up for a long time to come, they'd say, well, we're going to take advantage of this. We're going to invest in another, another factory. Um, another possibility is that they, they might be thinking, well, we're not going to invest in the factory here. We're going to invest in factory abroad. But I, I don't trust the trade barriers either on that. Sure. Um, I mean, when when I when I see an article and it's saying like six companies are just are all deciding that you know the supply is fixed and they're not going to increase it even though the, there's demand there for it, I I start to question things and I guess you've answered it. Fair. Yeah. Okay. They all have the same miserable outlook about the economy. <laughs> Again, it, it's possible, right? You know, it, it's is it possible that you know six or seven uh, 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 sawmills like have have made the same economic calculation? Absolutely. Um, should it be questioned when they all make that same economic calculation at the same time? I would also say absolutely. But, I, I would say the the only thing that I would want to look into is if somebody besides those six or you know major ones, or whatever, yeah, uh, wants to add capacity and take advantage of, of the high prices. And if they're not allowed to for, you know, maybe some cronyism or government uh, interference, then I would say, okay, there's definitely a problem there. Okay. Um, and I don't have an answer for that. And that is not covered in the article. So, right. And, uh, and I know, I know that exists. Um, that, that, you know, if, if you have any part of uh, industry, you want to keep out competitors and that, you know, government is one way they do it. I mean, yeah, even to cut down trees, you have to get a you know government approval to do that. You know, so it's it, right. it is. Uh, if there's any shortage, it's it's probably government inflicted. Well, and if any one of these other companies decide, hey, we we see this, and we're going to you know increase capacity. Uh, you know, may, I don't know how you know close knit that industry is, but I could foresee a call from another CEO going like, why would you do that? We're all making you know a fuck ton of money. You know, just ride the wave, man. Why, why no, I mean, if, the boat? 
I'm, I'm saying if there's a, government. A, a new entry into the market. Yeah. Know, well, starting, I, I get, yeah, you know, I get starting you. from scratch. Um, then, then they'd have to, they'd be, they'd be like, well, pay me off. Then I won't do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Unless, unless as you said, then they're being coerced by the, by the state to not do it. Right. All right. Any other thoughts, final thoughts? Well, actually just, just for fun, let me mention that when I was living up in Alaska and I talked with the, uh, guy who was in charge of the forest service up in the Tongass national forest, the largest national forest in us Swiss system. He said they were busy subsidizing, uh, forest, uh, timber, uh, companies to take down timber for every dollar of revenue they collected from the sale of timber. They spent $13 of taxpayers money building logging roads for the timber companies. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, again, this is what we talked about earlier with, you know, with the, the, the oil stuff in Hawaii, right? How can we spend the most taxpayer money so we can get more of that taxpayer money for us and our projects? Exactly, right? yeah. Seems the yeah. same to me. All right, uh, that'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. Uh, again, I'll give out my personal um, clubhouse at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. Get on board with that, then you can participate with the show until we're able to form a club. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. Yay.